This is the Seahawks Draft Show, Episode 3. I'm Brandon Schultz, and I'm joined by Rob Staten, SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Brandon, and uh, looking forward to talking draft again. Yeah, it's just a little bit over two weeks away, so it's it's ever-approaching, and we have a lot of news related to the Seahawks the, these last few days that are coming up that could impact, have an impact on the draft. You know, we saw Demarcus Lawrence sign a big contract, which could, uh, it, it'll definitely have an impact on what Frank Clark's asking price is coming up. You know, how might that impact the draft? We'll talk about that. Uh, also, Russell Wilson, he wants a contract by April 15th. You know, that lands before the draft. And then I also want to talk about special teams, Rob, not just you know, the, the Seahawks have shown that they've had a lot of interest in potentially wide receivers in the draft. And a lot of that with the Doug Baldwin news, you know, it has me thinking that the wide receiver has to be a place. Well, and almost every draft they've they've gone with a, a wide receiver in one round or another. But I think that the Seahawks are poised to potentially even replace Tyler Lockett on special teams. So I'm curious of some of the guys that that might fit in there uh, in this upcoming draft. But Rob, let's start off with. The Frank Clark news and Demarcus Lawrence, you know, it did not go unnoticed by Seahawks fans that he was pretty excited to see Demarcus Lawrence sign a deal potentially worth over one hundred million dollars over five years for the Cowboys. Yeah, and rightly so, because he uh, he, he deserves a, a deal at the very least of an, an equal amount because he has more sacks, more career sacks than Demarcus Lawrence. He's a better athlete. He's he's younger. I think he's something like you know a year and a bit younger than Demarcus Lawrence. He's got greater upside. So I think that Demarcus Lawrence has pretty much peaked at where he is now. I think that Frank Clark's maybe even got a, another step or two that he can take in his career. So he definitely deserves as much of that. Um, the big debate that Seahawks fans are going to have right now is about value. It's going to be does Frank Clark warrant a twenty million a dollar a year contract? And uh, does he warrant $65 million guaranteed? And you can look at this two ways. Frank Clark doesn't deserve to earn as much as Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald because they're two game-wrecking defensive linemen. They're going to be in the Hall of Fame. They're legendary players. They deserve to, to earn more than anybody on the defensive side of the ball. Here's the thing, though. Frank Clark may not deserve to earn as much as them, but he certainly deserves to earn more than Trey Flowers, who just signed an $18 million a year deal in Detroit. He certainly deserves to earn more than CJ Mosley, who just signed a $17 million a year deal with the Jets. And he deserves to earn more than Landon Collins, who's on about 14, I think, and a half million dollars a year uh, with his new contract as well with the Redskins. So when you actually look at it, the market's telling you what Frank Clark's worth. The cap's only going to keep rising. So a $20 million a year deal today might seem a little bit rich, but in two or three years' time, might actually look relatively cheap in comparison to where the CBA takes the cap and where other team, other players like, for example, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett are going to reset the market again in a year or two. So these are things that people have to consider. And for me, you know, if, if the Seahawks want to build around their new core, as they've said they do, um, then you pay Frank Clark. If you're willing to pay him $17 million for this year, why aren't you willing to pay him $20 million the year after? Right. And I saw a lot of Seahawks fans, you know, kind of saying their goodbyes once they, once they saw Frank Clark's excitement over the Demarcus Lawrence deal, because I'm sure they see that and they think, oh, wow, that's, you know, that, that's just too much at this point for the Seahawks, you know, because they are looking down the road and you see Jaron Reed coming up on the final year of his deal. Bobby Wagner coming up on the final year of his deal. Russell Wilson, you know, out of all those four guys, are you able to pay all four? But at the same time, you know, going back to Camp Chancellor, 
you know, when they paid Cam that big deal, they saw him as it as someone who would be the future, be in a big leadership role for the team. And a lot of Seahawks fans at that time didn't see that. But I'm seeing Frank Clark really move in to that leadership role on the team. And, you know, he was even talking about you know this being his defense now, uh, even with Bobby Wagner still being on the team. But if they see him as providing that type of leadership, then really the the cost is what it is for that position. And yeah, it's, it's tough to, to see him paid only less than Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald, but that's going to be the price. And a couple of years down the road, you're going to, it's, it's not going to mean quite as much. Part of the issue is, and I mean this with the greatest amount of respect, you'll have to trust me on that one. Uh, but I, I kind of feel like fans, uh, this is probably not just the Seahawks fans problem, but it's probably an NFL fans problem overall, is that everybody's the smartest guy in the room these days. You know, everybody knows what uh, offense you should run. Everybody knows what play calling you should do. Everybody knows how you should build uh, your football team. Everybody watches how you know, the Rams do things and says, why don't, why don't my team run their offense like that? Everybody watches like the Bears on defense and says, why can't we have a defense like that? And everybody watches the <laughs> Patriots and says, why can't we just build our football team the way that they do? And the reason why the Patriots do it is because they have a guy called Belichick and a guy called Brady. Right. And whatever they've got those guys, they're going to be competing. You know, nobody would look at New England's roster and go, wow, they are stacked with depth because they never pay anybody. You would look at New England's roster and say it's pretty average overall with a few exceptions. And the thing that is has kept them at the top for so long is a legendary head coach and a legendary quarterback. And you cannot mimic that. And Pete Carroll's a great coach and Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. Uh, you know, with the greatest respect to both guys, who I have a lot of respect for, we all do, they're not Belichick and Brady. And that's not, you know, that's the same for any coaching duo, really. Um, See, so it's very difficult to copy them. The Seahawks have got some good players. And unless you never want to pay any of your good players, you're going to have to pay market value eventually. And they can pay Wilson and Wagner and Clark, they'll have to make a call on Jaron Reed. I think people forget that you know it's possible for a player to hit the open market and then resign at a cheaper price than you expected. <laughs> Everybody thought that Sheldon Richardson was going to get a, a, a huge contract right. a year ago. He ended up signing a one-year deal for $8 million in Minnesota. Everybody thought that Michael Bennett, when he hit free agency for the, second, for the first time, was going to get huge money. He ended up signing a, a one-year deal in Seattle. Cliff Avril signed a two-year deal in Seattle rather than getting his mega contract. Michael Bennett hit free agency again for the following year after winning a Super Bowl in Seattle, ended up re-signing with the Seahawks having hit the open market. You know, it's possible that Jaron Reed hits the open market in a year's time and finds that his best offer is to stay in Seattle. So I, I don't quite get the panic of some fans at the moment where you've got to trade these guys because they want market rate. Take your time, be patient, try and keep your core together, Yep, do you know what? A lot of your camp's going to be taken up with your star players. That's the way that the NFL is going to be going forward. It's going to be the same for every team. The way you combat that is to draft well and develop well. Well, and maybe you do go ahead and say, play this next year on the franchise tag, Frank. And and we'll talk about it. You know, maybe put the transition tag on him next season if you're able to lock up Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson, and, and have a tag free. And then you can just see what the market rate is for him and and keep him at that, re-sign him in Seattle once, once that time comes too. So they do have some flexibility there. But 
they also have some you know, potential flexibility with the draft coming up. It is a, a deep defensive line draft. There's a lot of guys at the top of the draft in particular. You know, if the if the Seahawks were to trade him for a top 15 pick. Now, it's going to be tough, I think, trying to find a trade partner who would be willing to take Clark at the, the $20 million a year range versus someone relatively cheap on a rookie deal picking in the top 15. But it seems like the Seahawks have kind of positioned themselves for that potential, bringing in a guy like Rashawn Gary for a top 30 visit, talking to Josh Allen at the combine. You know, they're they're at least talking to some of those guys in the in the eventual case that maybe they do end up with a, a top 15 pick. I would urge all Seahawks fans to kind of forget the idea that that somebody in the top 10, for example, is going to trade for Frank Clark and um, and they're going to end up being able to replace him with a Rashawn Gary or a Josh Allen. Because here's the thing, is that Frank Clark, as as we sort of know him today, is a 13, 14 sack NFL defensive lineman, is a proven commodity, and there's, there's some value to that. But this is the best defensive line draft <laughs> in years. This is what John Schneider said was the best defensive line class he's seen in his 27 years of the NFL. Yeah, And there are some stars at the top of this draft. And you could draft one of these guys, Rashawn Gary, Josh Allen, Nick Bosa, Ed Oliver, Montez Sweat, Brian Burns. You could be paying them as little as 10 to $15 million guaranteed for five years of club control. Or you can trade that pick and pay Frank Clark 65 to $70 million guaranteed. <laughs> now, as good as Frank Clark is, what are you going to do in that situation? Because people seem to forget this. The Seahawks aren't the only team in the NFL who's having a dilemma amongst the fan base on who are you going to pay, who are you not going to pay. All teams have to deal with this this right now. You know, any team that has a young quarterback, you know, Cleveland Browns will be finding this out in a few years' time when Baker Mayfield gets paid. The Jets, when Donald gets paid, and the Rams, when Goff gets paid, the Chiefs with Mahomes, everybody has to cut their cloth accordingly. If you get a chance to draft a defensive lineman and you get him for five years on cheap club control, you're going to take it. It's a great thing to have at a premium position. You're not going to trade that away to give it to somebody else to pay Frank Clark $65, $70 million guaranteed. You might do that for Khalil Mack, but he's a Hall of Famer. You might do it for Aaron Donald. With the greatest respect to Frank Clark, he's on the next tier down. So I don't think teams are going to do it. I don't know if there's any chance of that. The absolute best deal I think the Seahawks could hope for in a scenario like this is that someone like Buffalo, for example, would be willing to swap first-round picks. So mm. the Seahawks would end up with number nine, Buffalo would end up with number 21, and then the Seahawks may get their second-round pick, which is number 40. That's the kind of scenario I could see because then Buffalo gets a great pass rusher in Frank Clark. They still have the 21 picks. They can spend it on a receiver or a tight end or an offensive lineman to help Josh Allen. And that's a kind of win-win for both teams. The Seahawks then get a pick in the round two, which they might want, and they also get a pick in the top 10. So, you know, that's that's the kind of deal that would maybe make some sense. But even that seems unrealistic this close to the draft. It does. And that kind of that goes back to that rumor of Jake Glazer talking about the Buffalo Bills showing some interest in Frank Clark. So uh, it'd be, you know, that's one of the things to watch during the draft is if uh, some of those things end up uh, showing back up. But I, I do expect that. As Seahawks fans, we can just be happy with seeing that now the $17.1 million for the 2019 season, it, it kind of feels like a little bargain now after seeing the, uh, the Marcus Lawrence contract. Absolutely. And, the, and it's, it's not a bad thing to have Frank Clark in 2019. 
you know, rushing the passer for the Seahawks and and helping the Seahawks, who were a playoff team last season, hopefully taking another step forward. And with a good draft, they they may well be able to do that. So, um, you know, I, I, there's a bit of panic at the moment. You know, everybody thinks they've got to trade Frank Clark or Russell Wilson or both. Um, got to get some draft picks. Got to do all this, you know, before April 25th. I'd say just take a step back here. I, I don't think the team are panicking about this. There's a time frame and a process for these things to be done. Would not be surprised if uh, by July, I think it's like July 15th, when the deadline is to re-sign franchise-tagged players to longer extensions, would not be surprised at all if Frank Clark has got a new contract by then. You're telling Seahawks fans not to panic, Rob. Rob, this is the season for time for panic. And and case number two <laughs> is Russell Wilson wanting a contract by April 15th, setting a deadline. Uh, any coincidence that Russell is setting an April 15th deadline ahead of the NFL draft just to just to make sure the Seahawks don't go ahead and, and select a quarterback and then do their negotiating uh, once they see where some of those draft picks fall at the end of the month. Russell Wilson and his agent, Mark Rogers, are, are doing what they've been doing for a few weeks now, which is, you know, trying to, to gain any available leverage and, and trying to position themselves to, to get the best for Russell Wilson. So that's why, oh, what a surprise. You know, Adam Schefter reports during the Super Bowl, there's not been any contract talks yet. And then what's this? Colin Cowherd says that the Giants want to trade for him. And then. Well, oh, Russell Wilson's gone on Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Fallon, who's an expert in football, asks him about the Giants trade rumors and, and being their most expensive player in the NFL. You know, and this is just the next step. You know, this is the next thing in the line that they've, they've set this deadline. Uh, I don't think the Seahawks are going to feel any pressure whatsoever to, to, to work with this. The thing that people have got to remember here is that at the moment, the Seahawks have Russell Wilson for what, about something like $70 million this year or something. And then they can have him for next year for $30 million, which is is not an outrageous amount of money given where the rest of the quarterback market has gone. And that's when things get difficult. You know, it's at the end of that franchise tag that then you have to start thinking about what's next because yet you can still keep him for $37 million on the exclusive rights franchise tag for the year after. But then if it gets to that stage, you really are sort of counting down the days to Russell becoming a free agent and, and testing his his open market ability and, and how much he's going to raise there. So the Seahawks have got some time here. They won't feel particularly panicked to to react to this deadline. And Russell Wilson just wants to make sure that they get the talk started now rather than down the line, because I think it suits the Seahawks to have these talks right before training camp. There's a little bit more pressure on the situation there. So I think it benefits Wilson to make this kind of deadline public, to try and get them talking now, to try and get something done, and also to smoke the Seahawks out. I mean, he will be turning around to the Seahawks with, with this situation and going, come on, make a commitment to me. Pay me what I want. Let's let's roll. I want you to show me that I'm the guy, you know, I'm the face of the franchise, that I'm this, and I want you to do it now. I don't want you to wait this out and try and claim any leverage down the line. I want you to give me your best offer now, not in July, not in August. Let's get it done. Let's get it sorted. And if you're not willing to do that, then I know where I stand and I'm going down the franchise tag route. And I think that's what that's Wilson's position. And I think the Seahawks may well end up calling his bluff over the next couple of weeks. I don't think a deal's going to get done. But uh, I'm pretty relaxed about the situation on the whole. And I think the Seahawks will be as well. They'll have been planning and preparing for this negotiation for a long time. Well, Adam and I talked about it on the the latest episode of the Field Goals podcast. It does feel more like a goal uh, rather than a set deadline. And as you mentioned, you know, there's there's plenty of ability by the Seahawks to keep Russell Wilson around for many years to come. You know, whether it be franchise tag, whether it be using a, a transition tag and, and matching the the salary that another team offers. 
And, you know, you talk about the Jimmy Fallon interview, and I, I definitely had to chuckle about the, the fact that, you know, drought, that uh, salary cap expert Jimmy Fallon's asking him about becoming the, <laughs> the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Like that question wasn't planted at all. Um, and well, but, I, I remember I remember once uh, I hosted a, a breakfast show on the radio and we were talking about some topic, uh, some something to do with the traffic or something. And I absolutely no idea what I was talking about. You have a producer in your ear going, ask them about this. Right. Ask them about that, and it's it's great. You know, you just sort of sit there and you sound like you know everything about the topic. And as I Jimmy Fallon, just imagine him in the in the green room before, and it's like, what am I going to ask you about then, Russell? <laughs> you yeah, <know>? right. <laughs> and they just say, why don't you ask me about my contract or the Giants room? Oh, that's a great idea. I'll jot that down. And, he, and then they go in there and they they go and do it. And listen, I, this is a saga. This is going to be something that that lasts. I'm afraid. You know, this isn't going to be. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope by April fifteenth they've got a deal done and everything's hunky dory. But it seems to me like this is going to be something that is protracted, that the Seahawks are going to stick to the guns. Both sides are going to have to compromise. If Russell Wilson wants, you know, a, a huge amount per year and wants loads of guarantees, then he's going to have to compromise a little bit and, and play to the, the Seahawks contract structure. But equally, the Seahawks are going to have to cede in some areas as well if they want to get Wilson to to compromise too. So both sides are going to have to compromise. I hope that there's a good enough relationship there. I think there probably is that they can find some common ground and, and come to an agreement which makes Russell Wilson the highest paid quarterback in the NFL for a period, which is probably what he wants, and secures his future with the team. But they've got to do that. They've got to compromise. And sometimes these things will take time. But I, I think the draft is interesting to keep an eye on because I think it's still possible uh, that the Seahawks could look to draft a quarterback fairly early, maybe even with their first pick, just to give themselves a little bit of insurance moving forward. Because if Russell Wilson is going to end up playing on the franchise tag, and if he tells them very boldly on April 16th, the day after this deadline, that's it, you've not signed me to a new deal, I'm playing on the franchise tag moving forward, do with that information what you will. If that's what he says, you've got to start planning. You, you have to have an insurance. You better have somebody on the roster that you're, you're growing and building with just in case you have to move him in a year's time or in two years' time. You better have that, I think as John Schneider would call it, you know, one in the chamber. I think he referred to it a couple of years ago. You better have that. So I think there's a, a real chance here that they look at someone like Will Greer if he's there. He's, he's a good fit for their offense and consider drafting him just as some insurance. It's not what people want because they want someone who's going to be an impact player in 2019. I'm sure it's not what the Seahawks want either. But if they're into a situation where Russell Wilson's saying, that's it, the deadline's passed, I'm not talking now, I'm going on the franchise tag until you come back with a better offer, that's the way it lasts. And they, they're going to have to look at this draft and see what their options are. Yeah, and I feel like there would be more of that concern about that potential threat of drafting a quarterback if they did have more picks coming up in this draft because, gosh, they, that leaves them with one fewer hole that they're able to fill. And, and having a backup quarterback isn't a bad thing either, but it's just with, with so many other positions of need. Now, I think there was a moment of truth, too, in that interview with Russell Wilson and Jimmy Fallon is that uh, he kind of smiled and he says, I don't think the Seahawks are going to let me go. And I think for all Seahawks fans, I would urge them not to take all of this negotiation and, and off-season talk too personally, because this is all part of the game. And, you know, the, the now the, the game of the off-season, it's not as fun as watching the game during the season, but this is all part of the negotiation. It's part of the game. And eventually everything will work out. And I, I'm, you know, still 97% sure Russell Wilson's going to be a Seahawks quarterback for the next five years and beyond. Yeah, you know what it was to blame for all this? It's social media. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's to blame for everything. You know, 10 years ago, 
the only thing we had was Mike Sando's blog at the uh, at the TNT, and right. we had Danny O'Neill's blog at the Seattle Times, and you would kind of refresh that page every day, and they'd kind of post something, a little bit of information that was nothing too uh, dramatic about certain situations, and they would keep you up to date. But now we have everything. We have people stressing on Twitter every five minutes about every little bit of breaking news about this. We have, you know, the talking heads on, on the NFL Network or ESPN. You know, last week it was Chris Mortensen and Adam Schefter and Jim Nagy, of all people, sat in a room talking about trading Russell Wilson before the draft, because why not have that conversation? You know, and, and, it, and it just sort of fuels this social media panic and concern, and then everybody feels like something has to happen here. And, you know, if it gets to April 16th and the Seahawks haven't done a contract, there'll be a load of people criticizing the team for not paying the man. And there'll be people criticizing Russell Wilson for wanting too much money. And there'll be people saying they've got to trade Russell Wilson in the next 10 days before the draft or nine days, because there's no way of signing him and the other guys. And, and the Seahawks front office will be sat there and they'll be just, it'll be calmness personified it'll just be we know what our process is we know what the situation is we're comfortable with it we're handling it and they'll get done what they need to get done you know the, the run, there isn't a single player in the Pete Carroll and John Schneider era that I'm aware of maybe Brandon you can correct me if you can think of anybody who has left the team that they weren't comfortable leaving the team whenever anybody's needed to, to be kept they've kept them Sherman Thomas Chancellor KJ Bobby Bennett Averill Russell Wilson the first time you know Doug Baldwin Tyler Lockett, they've, they've made sure that all of these players have stayed. They've just put the franchise tag on Frank Clark. They didn't do what New England did and let Trey Flowers hit free agency. They, they, they franchised him. You know, they keep the guys that they want to keep. So if they're determined to keep Russell Wilson and Frank Clark and Bobby Wagner, they'll do it. All right, Rob. Well, let's take a break. Uh, we'll go refresh our respective Twitter timelines to make sure uh, that, you know, just to catch up on all the excitement that's probably happened just in the last 10 minutes. And, <laughs> and we can come back and talk a little bit about special teams and wide receivers that the Seahawks might be looking at coming up in a couple weeks. All right, I, I refreshed my timeline, Rob. Uh, there's more outrage and worry going on, so we'll we'll gloss over that and let's talk about uh, coming up. The Seahawks they have an opportunity to do something that I, I feel like hasn't been on people's radar too much. And one of the things I'm going back and looking at is historically for the Seahawks with their punt and their kick returners. Three to four years is about as much as they've gotten out of those particular players. And Tyler Lockett, he's coming up on his fifth season with the Seahawks. You know, they paid him a big deal primarily to be, you know, that go to type of wide receiver. You know, the clear number two behind Doug Baldwin uh, that could move him up to number one uh, based on, you know, depending on how Doug Baldwin returns from his postseason surgeries. But looking at the stats, you know, 130 punt returns, the most in franchise history for the Seahawks, 112 kick returns is fifth overall for Seattle. And, you know, kickoff returns are now down historically. So, you know, who knows how much that might be had they not changed the rules in these past couple of years. So I see Tyler Lockett as a guy who could be reaching the end of his run as a punt and kick returner for the Seahawks. So in this draft, you know, that's a good position for a, a new pick to really have an impact on the team moving forward. And we see a lot of these guys 
especially wide receivers in their first couple of years, make their impact to the team on special teams, much like Tyler Lockett did with his first couple of years. So I, I'm interested in hearing from you. What, who are some of those players that the Seahawks could look to be it at wide receiver, be it at, you know, maybe corner at safety who could make an impact as a punt or a kick returner in this draft? I think the best returner in this draft is Debo Samuel, who is the, uh, the receiver at South Carolina. He is, he, he's the most productive returner and he's, he's got that ability. He, he doesn't look, he hasn't got the body type you'd expect of a, of a great returner, but I think that's sometimes what they are. You know, it's, it's they're not all, they don't all look like Devin Hester. You know, they're, they're, he's, he's a stockier build. He's got a build up speed rather than that amazing acceleration, but he's just got this knack of finding creases and exploding and, and breaking off big gains. So I think Debo Samuel, probably going to be a, uh, an early to mid second round pick is somebody they could look for if they were looking for somebody who can not only be a great receiver but also be somebody who can come in and return and Keel Harry is also a returner again not the body time that you would expect from someone who's going to return punts and kicks right. but he's got that ability to do it his his yards after the catch is probably better than his go routes you know that he, that's what he is it's it's sort of running with the ball in his hands is probably his best skill and for a guy his size it's unnatural but it, it works so he's another one to keep an eye on and I think the other player that I'll probably mention here is not a player that I'm a massive fan of I see people have sort of talked about him in the first and second round I don't think he's that I think he's probably more like a third fourth round type of guy but it's Nazir Adderley the uh, the safety at Delaware has got some returnability as well. And if they were going to take a, a nickel, a big nickel type who can play a bit of safety as well and be that hybrid in, in the middle rounds, who could also do something else, which is contribute on special teams, he could be a player that could do that as well. Nazir Adderley has returned kicks at Delaware. I'm kind of wondering, too, about a guy like Paris Campbell. Now, they, they could take somebody who doesn't have the necessary, doesn't necessarily have the experience in college, but I think at Paris Campbell, you know, when you said a guy who has uh, yards after the catch ability, the Campbell's one of those guys who immediately comes to mind for me. Yeah, I think that he's, he, I don't think he's got that much experience of it, but he has done it. And with his 4 3 1 speed, he is somebody that you would imagine that could be something that translates to the next level in terms of a special teams role. So definitely uh, Paris Campbell, who's somebody who's had an official 30 visit with the Seahawks, he's definitely somebody who could be a contender for that. And just to throw another name into the mix, if they do end up moving Tyler Lockett off returns, Rashad Penny was a record-breaking returner for San Diego State and was a fantastic kick returner. And I was a bit surprised that he didn't do a bit more of that as a rookie last year. Yeah. And now that he's presumably fully healthy and a, and a little bit more acclimatized to the NFL, I wonder if Rashad Penny will get a chance to return some kicks next year. Well, and that's a good point. You know, when I look at many of the top returners for the Seahawks throughout history, you know, it, it's primarily at wide receiver. But, you know, you see Maurice Morris uh, historically is up there among the top guys. And, and then, of course, uh, Chris Warren was such a good returner for so long for Seattle. Leon Washington. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he is one of the the touchdown leader. How could I forget him? There are some options. I mean, and, and definitely with the receivers in this class, some of the defensive backs, some of the running backs as well. You know, they've got some options. I, I think it's a decent point that you made there and, and right to raise it as well about Tyler Lockett. And I think with Tyler, the way that he was such an exceptional receiver last year, it may be best for just him to focus on that moving forward, especially if Doug Baldwin does end up retiring. You know, Tyler Lockett's pretty much your number one receiver. He's not an orthodox number one, but he, he does what the Seahawks want, which is get downfield, make big, big, big chunk plays in the receiving game, gets open, just a, a terrific receiver for the Seahawks system. So, yeah, maybe it's time to sort of move that other role onto somebody else. And it, whether it's a penny, whether it's one of, the, one of the players we've talked about there, it could be a possibility. 
It is interesting. Some of the things that the Seahawks have done here in free agency, though, it feels like, you know, with signing Cassius Marsh, with uh, bringing in the other pass rusher from the Browns, uh, Orchard, and they're even talking about bringing in a, a tall wide receiver formerly from the Broncos uh, coming in here on Wednesday this week. It feels like they're they're trying to solidify up a lot of those positions of weakness going into the draft. And it's not a bad move either, because, you know, when you get to the draft, it's better to not really have that position of need uh, once you get there and have that capability to, you know, being on the clock at a, a, you know, toward the end of round one, top of round two and having to select you know, someone you know, just the best player on the defensive line, because that's your biggest spot of team need. Uh, it just it feels to me like they're trying to to have guys so they can have as many options available to them early on in the draft. It's what you would call a draft hedge. Yeah. So they're meeting with guys that let's say they're going to meet with, I think, John Ulrich as well, who's the former New England um, offensive lineman. They're going to meet with him this Friday. Ulrich John. So, you, you have his name sorry. backwards. <laughs> Ulrich John. I apologize to, to Ulrich. Um, it's, it's an unusual first name. It is unusual. Um, it, it should be so, switched. He, he should be forced to switch if he, if he, he comes should. to Seattle. <laughs> just it, to make it, it would make life a lot easier. Um, I bet people just call him John anyway. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, is that with that stuff like that and, and you're, you're right they're, they're meeting with uh, it's Taylor the receiver and they've, they've met with defensive backs recently and, and other players and and obviously the, the pass rusher from Nick Perry and, and others as well yeah. so I think what they're doing is they're, they're meeting with these guys because once the draft is finished I think I'm right in saying it doesn't affect comp picks or anything like that anymore so let's say that they don't get a chance to draft a wide receiver but they want to add one um, with some veteran experience uh, on top of any undrafted players they get, they may well bring this receiver in. If they don't draft an offensive lineman, they'll bring this other guy in because they want competition across the board and they want to know, you know, how they want to meet these guys, see if they're a fit. You know, it, it's almost like an official 30 meeting, isn't it? With, but with a, with a free agent as opposed to a draft pick. And they're just sort of, sort of preparing themselves. And some of these guys, like the two pass rushers recently can get signed now. They're not going to offend the comp picks. You've got some competition there, but they're not going to be you know, Cassius Marsh and Nate Orchard are not locks to make the team or anything like that. And there won't be any great financial commitments to either of them. They're going to come in as competition and they will sign more guys like this after the draft as well. It's about sort of covering for the whole roster and trying to put a complete roster together. And it gives them a chance to do that. And, um, you know, they've, they've looked at a wide range of positions now. And they're kind of, I think that a lot of these are for after the draft, draft hedges. If we don't get this guy, then they may well sign this player that they met with before the draft and, and they'll just have a little plan there so they can put together a complete roster. Well, Rob, uh, thanks once again. Another week down as we head into the 2019 NFL draft. There's going to be a lot more for sure to be talked about in the weeks coming up before the draft. Yeah, we'll be back next week and looking at probably another mock draft this coming Monday. Can't wait. And that does it for this week's show. Be sure to follow Rob Staten at Rob Staten on Twitter. You can help support the Seahawks draft blog at patreon.com slash Seahawks draft blog. Help support everything Adam and I do here on field goals at getintheflock.com. If you want to get some bonus episodes, be part of our Facebook ring of honor, you can go to getintheflock.com and we will be back with the show. More draft talk next week and plenty of more content here on the field goals podcast network. 